High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, fans of horror, fans of horror comedy. How about fans of A-listers before they were A-listers? This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. First off, happy Father's Day to all you daddies out there. Thank you for being fathers, I suppose. (laughs) Some great high school fathers, if you will. We'll talk about that at the end of the episode, though, because your superlatives are still out there. Please, please, please vote for our yearbook special. You can find that on our Twitter page and our Facebook page. At the end of the month, we're going to have a big yearbook blowout where I will let you know who won for our junior yearbook awards. And also that day, I'm going to let you in a little secret. I'm going to tell you what we're going to be doing this summer. Did you pass? Are we going to summer school? Do we have a babysitting job again? Maybe it's something else. I don't know. But you'll have to find out on that episode. But before that, please, please, please vote. And I hope you've been catching up on your high school slumber party if you happen to miss an assignment Last Friday, we did Carrie, the original Carrie with Caragel O'Regan. Definitely check that episode out. And check out what she's doing on her social media. Bimps, B-I-M-P-S-E, is her social media tag because she's doing the race for pots, I believe it's called. It's a thing that I cannot explain. Kara explains better. So definitely check out her social media. I've donated. She's doing such great work for that disease And, you know, we thank her for coming on for Carrie because she talked awesome about the movie as well. But donate if you can. Read about it if you can. Check out Kara's Instagram and her Twitter if you can. Both very informative. Of course, you had homework for today. And yeah, it was to watch my boyfriend's back. Ryan Stick is here. I love when Ryan's on. He's a good dude. Always fun chatting with him. But I got to remind you about the other things. You know the other things. Social media, as I mentioned, Facebook and Twitter. But we're also on Instagram. Follow us there. Class participation is a huge part of your grade. But also, wherever you're listening right now, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, hit that subscribe button. And while you're there, while you're there, you know what you have to do? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm in the middle of a sentence here. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Jesus Christ, it's your junior year. You're almost ending your junior year. We're going to be seniors, right? And you're still not understanding the concept that I dismiss you and not the bell? Whatever. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, 
hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Write us a review or give us a five-star rating if applicable. And remember, check out and support all the other shows on the Cage Club Podcast Network. That's cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. All righty. More on this film today, your homework assignment today. My boyfriend's back. Ryan Stick, as I said, is here from the Ryan Stick Show. Love having him on. And this movie, again, if you're a fan of A-listers before they were A-listers, Matthew Fox from Lost, Matthew McConaughey is in this, my boy Philip Seymour Hoffman. The list goes on. There's even more than that. I think in the podcast I say two Academy Award winners. It's actually three Academy Award winners. One past, two future. I really, really can't wait for you to hear this episode. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sipping up Ryan's because we're about to get our party on. I'll leave you with the song the movie is named after. My Boyfriend's Back. This version by The Angels. Class dismissed. He went away and you hung around and bothered me every night. And when I wouldn't go out with you, you said things that weren't very nice. My boyfriend's back. Oh, by the way, they, they just added this to Zoom, and it creepily tells you when I press the record button. I forgot, so sorry. Thank you, you, robot overlords. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's crazy how, like, I did these gigs for iHeartRadio where I was edit- just editing, not interviewing, but just editing interviews that uh, people would do with musical uh, artists. And it baffled me that no matter how rich and famous somebody was, how little they understood what lighting was. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if they're sold 10 million records. And it made me realize, I'm like, wow, it really humbles all these people. Like my friend interviewed Ace Freely and he interviewed ACDC and all these other things. I'm editing these interviews and I'm like, man, years ago, if I was told myself I would be editing these interviews, I'd be like, no way. But now Zoom has humbled the human race <laughs> and put us all on the same playing field of we all kind of understand this, but not quite. And it makes me realize like all other interviews I saw prior to this time and time of our lives, there was professional lighting, yeah, yeah. best cameras in the business. And once you saw somebody, you saw them in this filter. <laughs> and now, you know, any half good looking person with a good angle can present themselves as a supermodel based on Instagram technology. Well, back in the day, you had an army of people making them look that hot or they had to be that hot in order to uh, you know execute it so thank you internet world for making an okay looking guy like me sometimes look pretty damn good <laughs> i appreciate <laughs> and you, you make a good point too about like these younger kids on tiktok and stuff is that like they probably i mean not probably they definitely are more aware of lighting and sound and all that compared to acdc which you wouldn't think <laughs> about but like you know a, a 12 12 year old kid now like you watch some of these tiktoks you're like how the hell do they look that good and they you know professional lighting is not as expensive as it was obviously but no (laughs) they light shit up and i don't know we we live in weird times but i'm all for it cameras and information in general like knowledge is more uh accessible because back in the day if you wanted to know how to edit something you had to go to film school 
kind of like before digital editing, like my dad showed me how to make one cut. And then I kind of made a career out of ridiculous amount of practice for the next 17 years. Like that's what it was day in, day out, 10 hours, 11 hours a day, I would be editing. I would learn things the long, hard way, but you know, they were learned. Nowadays, if you have a problem, you can look on YouTube and 50 or 60 snooty guys are going to tell you how to do it <laughs> like immediately. And I'm kind of like, and now I've gotten over myself. And now when I have a problem and I want to learn more about lighting, now I look up the YouTubers and it's been very beneficial. But for a little while there, I was like one of those cranky men yelling at a cloud. <laughs> I was a little hesitant to listen to how to do this trick from a 12 year old. But lo and behold, these TikTok kids are definitely onto something. <laughs> I feel like we're already having good conversations, so oh, yeah. we, we might as well just start this up. Ryan, welcome back to the show. Do you remember how to introduce yourself? On uh, no, Lord? not at all. I have a memory <laughs> of a goldfish, and the last two years has made me say, don't remember this day. <laughs> it's been a defense mechanism to have a terrible memory as of late. F fair enough. So you just yeah. say your, your name, your high school. I remember that you did not really have a high school team name so you don't have to leave that out so just name and high school are fine well my name is ryan stick i went to vanguard intercultural high school and uh we didn't have a team per se but we did have school uniforms and everybody knew that we were kind of the school that like kids would go to if they had like you know not complete learning disabilities but a learning disability where it's like hey let's just focus on you know what the kid's problem is and let's get them through school. And if there's only 10 kids in a class, it's a lot easier to do. Unfortunately, though, we had school uniforms and people uh, weren't as gracious as they were in 1998 as they are now. So I would like to call my team the Walking Targets. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Everybody was a member of that team. And be thankful that in 1998, you lived in a country that actually provided schools like that. So That's true. <laughs> I do have a question, though, about your high school experience now that we're here and talking about it ryan did you guys have a prom did you go to prom like was that something no you no did? we didn't we didn't have a prom and, it, and it's so good to have you asking me that. that's very clever considering the subject matter we have today and all the other movies we actually talk about too they always involve some sort of dance <laughs> anyway um yeah no we didn't have a we didn't have a prom but what we would do is grad would happen Oh, here's a funny story for you. So every time there was grad, we were all 18 at this point. So we'd go out drinking afterwards. That was the tradition. So what we decided to do, we're like, wouldn't it be fun if we just go to a hotel? No one understands what this is unless you're a Montrealer, but on the South Shore, which was this kind of like quiet, almost borderline suburban place outside the city. And we're like, let's not go to bars. Let's go to a hotel and drink for three days. <laughs> let's get three days of this and we'll party the whole time. Yeah. So what you don't realize is after being in a hotel with the same idiots you hang out with all the time, <laughs> it kind of wears off after a while. So day one, we're like, yeah, we're in a hotel. Day two, we're like, still in a hotel. <laughs> day three, we're like, why did we do this? Um, so... <laughs> At one point, my friends had a boredom. They went to like a junkyard or something or near a junkyard. And the guy who owns it was there and may or may not have been packing heat and asked them why they were there and had a big dog and offered that they could run away if they wanted, which they did. <laughs> now, <laughs> we were also next to uh, a bar 
that we didn't know at the time, but was a bar that gentlemen would go to meet gentlemen, which is, <laughs> which is awesome, but funny when you don't know it quite at the moment. <laughs> so there is a whole weekend and tape of us having fun and all our shenanigans that was coincidentally sat on when I lived with my band. <laughs> oh. and, and the tape was destroyed so no. all evidence of this weekend is gone but let me tell you graduation was interesting oh and not to mention after three days of hotel partying we we're going to go to our friend's house because he had a pool and it was going to be the after party of our party <laughs> and uh when we were getting there my bus pass didn't work and i frustratingly hit the the uh the subway thing right in front of a metro cop that i didn't realize which then threatened to find me quite a bit and as this was happening everybody else was on the metro and i had to kind of play catch up while trying to avoid getting a thousand dollars in fines oh memories fine memories <laughs> that sounds nothing like a prom but i love no, it no <laughs> no i kind of wish i was dead and then came back to dance with a girl that, that sounds much better <laughs> three days of mediocre fun in a hotel in the middle of nowhere that we elected to go to but anyway how you do <laughs> yeah well thank you ryan so much for coming on today and uh, we kind of set this up last minute and i i really really appreciate it but i did while watching this film today realize something about you you certainly certainly enjoy uh horror comedies where someone dies and comes back to life yeah you know because we, we talked idle hands we talk trick or treat, which you know, a little different vibe, but still, someone coming back to life, right? Yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it definitely. Um, dead guys go to prom or something <laughs> like that's that's definitely the, been the trilogy of our of our journey together. <laughs> well, I'm excited to talk my boyfriend's back. What is your history with the film specifically? I remember seeing a trailer for it when I was a kid, and wow. uh, as being. As being like scared of everything when I was a kid, I was like one of those kids where someone would say, you know, there's someone dead used to live here. And I'd be like, oh, no, really? <laughs> I, uh, you ever see the magic school bus? I was Arnold. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I should have stayed home today. Like card carrying, dorkosaurus, glasses, overbite, the works. Like little pre-teenage voice of a Muppet. Like, oh, my God. So, so. I started to become fascinated with horror movies because it was kind of like a little mini safe fear factor where it's kind of like I wanted to challenge what would scare me and what I could get over. And now and now I love horror, but as a result, uh, back in the day, I used to be just scared of, of everything. So I remember seeing this trailer and I wanted to see it with my mom and, and uh, grandmother, um, ironically, actually. And we, <laughs> we were in Niagara Falls, which is where I understand our two countries share a natural urinal or water. <laughs> Or waterfall, if you will. And I can't remember what side we were on, the American or the Canadian, but we went and checked out that that movie. And I remember really liking it, but I remember a sen getting a sense that I was the only one that really liked it in the cinema. And later years, while being a you know conscious older person that's aware of what a box office receipt is, <laughs> it turns out that was true. Like this movie was loved by the kids that saw it, but kind of hated by the adults who saw it. It's crazy how, with the exception of Vital Hands, I think Vital Hands did okay. I can't remember if it completely bombed, but definitely Trick or Treat didn't do well. I love movies that are kind of like, what, what do you call those again? Like you put a bunch of crap in a box and bury it, and then you, you get it out later. A time capsule? Thank you. I love it. It's kind of like, it's like, it's like a time capsule, 
But at the same time, I, I, I love the fact it's not loved by everybody. Like it wasn't like, oh, here's that flavor of the week. This is something that was put in the ether, hated by everybody, but then at the, at the same time had so much talent underneath it. If you look at the score and you look at the, direct, the director and the producer and all these background characters, which we're going to get into because I know, uh, you know, the Cage Club has a special love of a certain actor who's first appeared in this movie. It's crazy how like a movie that can be this much of a bomb just has all this talent sprinkled underneath it. And it's like literally, literally like a treasure map of greatness when you wa- when you walk through it. It's great. I have a pretty unique history with this movie as well, and it all came from adulthood. I did not grow up with horror films. Like I, Not that I didn't see them, and I was kind of a scared kid, but it just wasn't something that I saw a lot or grew up with, and especially not horror comedies. You mentioned, too, uh, Niagara Falls, and <laughs> it, it's just amazing. Like, I think I've been to Niagara Falls twice or maybe three times, and... Wow. Listeners, if you live in the Niagara Falls area, I apologize. It's just, it's an interesting place. I'll leave it there. (laughs) (laughs) I have teen memories of Niagara Falls and Montreal, actually, because like, as a lot of kids who live in New York, that's where I first went, like, legally drinking. Took a trip with the friends my freshman year of college to to Montreal. Had a blast. I'm sure I was an asshole because I can't imagine an 18-year-old walking around in the city drinking. You know, it's 21 here in the United States, and even that feels young. But um, in terms of just my history with this film, I actually covered this film early on in my podcasting career because me and my co-host at the time, Kyle Reinfried, um, we started our podcast career talking about the films of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. In our (laughs) podcast, P.S. I Love Hoffman. And God, I will not listen to the episode on this film or anything early on this is not an endorsement for my work but disaster <laughs> I mean, we, we would get on and we just wouldn't know what to talk about we would just be like and then this happens in the movie and then this happens in the movie and then this happens. we didn't get our sea legs yet some might argue i still don't have my podcasting sea legs but whatever they can argue that all they want but i saw this movie and i didn't hate it but I just did not get it because I did not have the the curriculum, if you will, of yeah. horror and horror comedies. It wasn't until I started doing this show that I really started to see horror films like Scream and Halloween, that kind of stuff. I had maybe seen it as a kid like on TV, not paying attention. Those are just horror classics, right? To move on to like horror comedy... Again, I was just not ready for this film at the time. And apparently the world was not ready for this film at the time. Because you're right, right, Ryan, this did not do well. But looking back, it's kind of becoming, or even has become, a little bit of a cult classic. When I uh, did it for for PSL of Hoffman, I could admit this now because I feel like no one listens to this show anyway. But I had to watch this movie, like, illegally on the internet. I luckily today was able to rent this on Amazon. And that wasn't, you weren't able to do that back then this movie was like hidden away for years until now but i think what you alluded to all the actors who made debuts or even if it was in the first couple years of acting in this film the director the producer there's more of a palette now for the horror comedy we were actually uh, just talking a couple weeks ago about the remake of prom night from 2008 
the fact that in the early 2000s, they started to remake all these horror films and have like a real serious tone about them for no apparent reason. I think we've now come back to appreciate the horror comedy and I hope this gets a little bit of a second life. Uh, me too. And you know what? It was produced by Touchstone Pictures. So Disney Plus is right there. They don't have to actually flex any kind of muscles to get the rights to this movie whatsoever. But uh, here we go. It's kind of the great shame. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure why. Like I've seen them glorify much, I don't want to say worse movies because, you know, it, it's all a matter of opinion. But I'm just kind of like, it's there. And every October, this would light up Disney+. Plus. I'm, I'm not sure why. As soon as you kind of get, like, I don't think comedies were taking a more... Horror movies were funny. Freddy Krueger got funny. But it wasn't this type of funny. This is like a cleaned up John Waters movie. Mm-hmm. Where it's clearly, <laughs> clearly taking the 1950s etiquette of the parents especially. The way they talk and communicate with their boy. Like, oh, hello, boy. Oh, did you get the paper? Like, you know, they're almost kind of like in their own movie. But that's what John Waters kind of does with Hairspray and Serial Mom. And at the same time, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, the original movie, that didn't do particularly well in the box office either, even though all my friends like adore it. They probably adore the series more. But still, that, that movie kind of knew what it was when it was trying to, you know, almost make fun of itself. I already know what the movies I would rent with this one for the end of the episode is for what it's worth. I did my research this time. <laughs> as soon as you understand like what they're parodying, all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, this is a really good one. But I completely understand if you don't like kind of like realize what they were trying to do. It is a confusing tonal movie. I completely get that. You're like, wait a second. This movie's dumb. But then when you watch it, you're like, yeah, this movie's dumb. <laughs> you know, like this, this, and this. Cool. Yeah. So like on uh, PSL of Hoffman, I was looking, you know, very accomplished actor. I was looking at more, looking at the film in more of an analytical sense. Mm-hmm. And th- this time I was just like, you know, let my freak flag fly. Let's, let, let's just watch this movie. Also, you make a really good point with the Disney Plus thing. I, I'm so jealous of you guys in Canada because you have like that Disney star thing, right? Oh, that's not in the States? No, they refuse to give us that. Disney is keeping its pristine image here touchstone has so many properties and even things they've acquired they have so many films that they could just give us on star that they refuse to do here they don't think we're ready for it they think that if people find out that disney is associated with non-animated projects and i love animated projects but or non-marvel projects things like that they think that we'll riot or something which is crazy so yeah we don't have star which is super super annoying because I, I i've seen you post about it and i've seen other people just like talk about it i'm like god damn it this is what we need so they're just hoarding x files and all those other amazing fox shows over there yep <laughs> what the serious fuck mickey mouse i don't know apparently disney comes here when it's 18 to get drunk too i don't fucking know <laughs> Well, hopefully when Disney turns 21, we can get it because this is this is uh, something that annoys me to no end. Well, I'm annoyed for you now. <laughs> Wasn't before. I would have gloated, but these, this day and age, come on, world, we need that kind of entertainment. <laughs> so you alluded to the production of this film, Ryan, and... Again, it wasn't even something I appreciated when I previously covered this, like, five years ago or whenever it was. Um, Sean S. Cunningham. Sean Cunningham is the lead producer here. This is his baby. When you do the deep dive, he wanted to get this film made. And 
Ryan, why don't you tell our audience what he is most famous for? He is most famous for being the first director and producer of the Friday the 13th franchise. He directed the first one and uh, had come back to produce the franchise later on. But it's incredible that he kind of like single-handedly, you know, that they look at Halloween and they look at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but Friday the 13th was kind of, uh, you know, it knew what it was and it was more about the specific kills as opposed to being terrified of the killer itself. Because Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, here he, here's this menacing guy with a chainsaw that you see. Halloween, it's kind of almost more artistic. It's like there's Michael Myers staring there in the distance where there, where I think only maybe, and when I say only, that sounds terrible, but I think the kill count in Halloween is not that high. It's definitely under 10. But in Friday the 13th, you have people who are banging on a bed and get, getting like stabbed through the mattress and all these very creative kills that um, they came up with. And Friday the 13th definitely changed the, uh, changed the game a bit, especially how many sequels can you have. And it all starts off with this gentleman who had this vision and wouldn't, wouldn't relent when people told him it couldn't be done. In this movie, he took along some of his friends with him, including the man who came up with the iconic kill, kill, kill. Yeah. Yeah, his, and I apologize if I'm not saying his name correctly, but I'm terrible at names, as you know. Uh, Harry Manfredini. And this guy scored all the Friday the 13th movies. And I had to look it up because when I was watching this movie, I'm like, this movie and the scores in it are super cool and out there. And they're kind of childish. They're very adolescent, but they're very fun and creepy. And I just absolutely love the music. And it's clear as day that uh, an iconic composer such as Harry worked on it. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you point that out. That's really, really cool to learn. And, this movie doesn't feel like bullshit, if that makes sense. Like, it feels like there was a labor of love behind it, which is awesome to see. Uh, on High School Summer Party, we don't always see that. And, and with that kind of history, too, it's not, again, not something I appreciated before it, but I so much appreciate it now. Before we get too deep, though, I like to read the back of the VHS in case you're not familiar with my boyfriend's back, and you're probably <laughs> not familiar with my boyfriend's back. So because there was only a VHS of it, and there was—I don't think there's ever been a DVD or Blu-ray. Yep. So yeah, read the testament that is the back of the VHS, of the <laughs> only official release of this movie. Oh man, teenager Johnny Dingle will do anything to keep his date with the hottest girl in school, even come back from the grave. You see Johnny, well, this punctuation is not the best in this one, guys. <laughs> you see, Johnny had the perfect scheme to win the heart of Missy McLeod, the town beauty. Unfortunately, Johnny's scam goes sour and he winds up dead. Even so, Johnny's determined to keep his date, unaware of the hilarity waiting for him upon his return. See for yourself why everyone's dying to see this outlandishly funny comedy. <laughs> okay. Not much there. Probably person probably didn't see the movie, which usually happens. <laughs> oh man, I, I I think Dream a Little Dream is the like one of my favorite episodes you guys did because that back of the box reveals <laughs> nothing about what that movie was about. <laughs> yes, and as you know, we get that a lot. Just people making it up on the fly. Occasionally we get a good one, but that's why I love reading it. I didn't uh, for our first episode, literally on a whim, I was like, oh shit, are people going to know what this movie is like? I had the DVD in front of me, I read it, and one of my guests that day 
uh, where like you should just do this all the time. I'm like, yeah, why the fuck not? And it's been a blast just reading these because there is a correlation, especially like the further back you go, the less it seems like the person actually saw the movie who wrote it on the back, which is again awesome. And now on streaming, it's just like two sentences, like girl meets boy, they have fun. Yeah, and not even that. Like uh, people don't read vhs boxes anymore they specifically just watch trailers and trailers overshare what the movie is like they wouldn't yeah. dream of being vague now they're kind of like let's show doomsday <laughs> <laughs> and four minutes of the five minute batman fight in in, in a batman v superman like it's, it's just, so true yeah yeah so different so a lot of cool facts about this movie so sean cunningham there's a lot of names you see in the internet even peter jackson at one point apparently was someone either the studio or he wanted but the name adam marcus comes up a lot and that was sean cunningham's first choice to direct this film he hired him right out of nyu film school and he was like this is who i want to direct this movie and touchstone disney were like no don't give this to a first-time director sorry not happening and he felt so bad that he gave adam marcus the what's it called jason goes to hell which one is that one that's the one where jason blows up the beginning is a snake monster for some weird reason and goes in people's mouths and vaginas (laughs) there you go there you go so uh sean cunningham had more of a control over the friday the 13th series at the time so he said my bad adam here i'm gonna let you do the next one of this and he only he directed at 23 which is amazing but for whatever reason disney would not let him direct this one we end up getting bob balaban which is very crazy i think people mostly know bob balaban as an actor i mean are, are you familiar with him at all i, I kind of wish because uh, i see him and i'm just like oh there's a guy and i'm like he's got one of those faces where i'm like i've seen him in things like lady in the water but i can't specifically point like he's been in close encounters of the third kind but i still i just i can't really place him he's just in a ton of stuff a lot of wes anderson movies again i know him as an actor he's done seinfeld like almost everything he's in i didn't realize until the first time i covered this film that he was a director and he has a lot of tv work under his belt so interesting choice but just one of the fun fun facts about this movie when usually when we cover movies like this it's just some unknown director right no it's like this is a dude who's a pretty accomplished actor directing this movie but not an accomplished director there's no other uh movies i can see in his imdb that kind of made him say like yeah this should be the guy that direct johnny zombie which was the original title of this movie actually right until it was about to be put out it was called johnny zombie which is funny that they called it's boyfriend's back because now in my mind i'm remembering all these movies in the early 90s would name themselves after songs from the 50s and 60s, like My Girl and Only You and all this other stuff. So that was kind of a fad for a while. Name your 90s movie after a 50s uh, song. Absolutely. And that was a, a, a Disney call. I don't think the producer and probably the director were happy about that because it doesn't really make sense, right? She, he was never her boyfriend. No. It's, they were just, you know, talking or whatever. I mean, I know you said you listened to the Dream a Little Dream episode. Mike Manzi and I on that one, I, I believe it's that one. We go into this whole list of how often what you just said happens, including Dream a Little Dream, obviously. But you're right. My Girl, Stand By Me, uh, Can't Buy Me Love. Studios would just love to do this. Like, oh, yeah, here's your title. Nah, 
we're gonna um, you know take a song from the 50s or 60s as you said and that's gonna be the title deal with it oh my god i'm gonna have to punch myself in the face for um not realizing this this director had directed three episodes of eerie indiana which means i would let him sign my tits I would like totally, this guy's awesome. <laughs> I, I love that show so much that I'm kind of like, oh shit. Okay. You know, in, in general, did he direct any like huge other movies? Not really, but at the same time, Erie, Indiana just is so near and dear to my heart that I'm kind of like, okay, sorry for saying that, Bob. I know we go way <laughs> back and all. I didn't mean that. I mean, Erie, Indiana, really, really underrated show. You know, no one remembers TV directors. You're Okay. I could imagine that if you're showing Disney someone's resume and you said, hey, I directed a couple episodes of this show, I believe that Erie, Indiana is somewhat Disney-affiliated, if I remember correctly. So would make sense to how he, that he would be in that pipeline. Mm-hmm. And then another interesting fact that, we'll, that is very relevant to probably the acting discussion here, that this film was filmed in Texas, outside Austin, and uh, at, in middle school, not a high school. It matters. It matters when we talk about this cast. Ironically... I don't have much to say about our two leads here, Andrew Lowry, who plays Johnny Dingle, and Tracy Lind, who plays Missy McCloud. Andrew Lowry and, and Tracy Lind, I was not familiar with them. I still can't really find much I should be familiar with them with. How about you? Well, Andrew Lowry, which frankly is up at this point my dream interview, if I could ever find him. That sounds wrong. Uh, <laughs> He was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer as uh, the movie, as one of the friends where when Buffy is kissing her boyfriend, he's in the car being like, dude, can I borrow her? Like, you know, like, which is, you know, which is a a line that ages like yogurt. (laughs) But, you know, at the time, definitely the fun high school lingo of the early 90s. But it's funny how he was in this movie. And I feel that this belongs in the same kind of uh, satirical parody horror comedy universe as Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So it's kind of nice to see that the Kevin Bacon of this uh, little of this little universe is actually Andrew Lorelei. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that is really cool. And I did not realize he was that guy. So good callback. I mean, he doesn't even have a Wikipedia, and I know that's like, oh, he doesn't have a Wikipedia. That sounds bougie, but. It is interesting. Look, I do this show twice a week. It's rare someone doesn't have a Wikipedia who stars in a movie. And Tracy Lynn, she was in Friday Night 2. I have not seen Friday Night 2 yet, but would, would love to. That's awesome. I don't know. I think anybody who's in like a rad movie is kind of like deserves to be immortalized in their own way. Sometimes you have so many companies that are going to push and re-release. Like how many times can you watch Indiana Jones? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's great. It's just great when, like, you know, DVD, like, Arrow Video and Shout Factory, like, you know, they are aware that just because it didn't make some bucks in a in a movie theater doesn't mean it can't uh, be someone's prized possession on their shelf years and years later. So, you know, we live in a world of that. I'm still crossing my fingers that my boyfriend's back will get a similar treatment because my darling Melissa and I, who watched it last year after not seeing it for so long, rewatched it and we're like, this is really good. There's, like elements and the way it's filmed and there's just so much to this that actually is so more memorable than so many other movies that have been critically uh you know cherished i don't know i think it definitely deserves to get on disney plus and kind of get a fresh pair of eyes to an audience that have a little bit more patience understanding and intelligence to under, to process it i would assume that it would have already had this if it wasn't under that Disney umbrella, right? Like I'm, sh- I'm sure there 
even though they're not doing anything with it, they're very reluctant to give it to one of these uh, shout factories. Or um, up by us, we have uh, Vinegar Syndrome, which is a, a really cool company. If you're not familiar with Vinegar Syndrome, Ryan, definitely check them out. They do a lot of great work with exactly what you're saying. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think this is ripe for the picking with that. I wish it was distributed by like a less big corporate monster or whatever, because I think it would have had that already. And it's a shame. It, it's a real shame. Someone obviously retouched it, though, recently. It looks pretty good on Amazon. Mm-hmm. There has to be, and the digital copies aren't terrible, you know? It's not like a rip from a VHS or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe they have a, some ideas for what they're going to do with it in the future. Or maybe we're the only people who care. Who knows? <laughs> we'll, we'll see. A big part of what you're saying about, you know, hey, it still looks good or even that. Uh, you know, you got to have a good cinematographer to make something look good. And uh, I'm looking at the credits of the cinematographer and he has a rich history in horror as well like he uh was the director of photography on reanimator uh house ghost town uh he did a few episodes of the wonder years after doing my boyfriend's back i mean he went on to do beverly Hills cop 3 the brady bunch movie a very brady sequel good burger i'm not sure if that's something he's gonna hold <laughs> highly even though good burger is kind of rad actually i saw that for the first time recently yeah it's pretty good it's just i i wouldn't call it like a um yeah a visual masterpiece, but maybe. Actually, I haven't seen it in a while. I can't say that. Crazy how like all these people that worked on this movie went on to bigger and better things. If anything, if they're going to you know uh, really highlight this for the mainstream, if you will, they could do it by showing how many just first-timers. Because it's a lot. I always love when I see movies like this where you know the casting director had a really good eye just for like looks of people at the very least, because there's multiple people having cameos or even significant roles in this who would go on to have a wonderful career. And there's two future Academy Award winners in this movie. Let's start at the bottom of the IMDb crawl, though. And let's talk Matthew McConaughey as guy number two in the movie theater. How about that? You know, like uh, he's our first future Oscar winner. I did a little bit of a deep dive on how this happened, and that's why I mentioned the Texas thing. It's similar to how he got on the set of Dazed and Confused. He wasn't necessarily looking to act when he went into college. A, a couple films were being shot in that area at that time. He would go on to try to be an extra, maybe try to get a line here or there, and that's what happened here. He kind of walked on, became an extra. He's just briefly in the movie theater scene. And Days and Confused, which was filmed again around the same time while he was in school there in Austin, similar thing happened. And that's why on the podcast we have the Wooderson Award, because uh, Richard Linklater liked him so much on that that he just gave him more lines and kept giving him more lines and kept just giving him more lines. And, and the rest is history. The dude, you know, again, eventually wins an Oscar and stuff. Crazy that this, this predates a little bit dazed and confused so did you blink or did you see him this time watching i for one think when they were casting dallas buyers club they're like you know we fucking need to really sell this whole movie guy number two from that movie <laughs> theater like that guy would that guy just sparkled no i definitely caught him because that's the thing that's the thing about academy award winners they're academy award winners not just because they're good at acting but they're like i don't know as some people would describe tom cruise as the sparkly people you know <laughs> when they come on screen all of a sudden you see them 
they're incapable of being a background player. And it's not about him talking. It's like, there's Matthew McConaughey. Same thing happens in Angels in the Outfield, which, by the way, is littered with Academy Award winners. It's For sure. crazy, crazy how all these goofy baseball players all went on to bigger and better things. But um, I definitely caught Matthew McConaughey, and I was reading that Renee Zellweger had some lines in this movie, and, but they were cut out. But this was also her first, first, first ever movie like Mr. McConaughey. For sure. And she has a similar actual, almost, almost the same actual history as Matthew McConaughey. She was also going to the University of Texas at the time. And she was also trying to walk on and get onto these, you know, things that were filming around Austin in that era. And she, unfortunately, like you said, her scene got cut. And the same thing kind of happened in Dates and Confused. I believe she's briefly in that as well. My but God, it's it's just weird how like literally two Oscar winners just have such a similar history. And I don't think people usually associate Renee Zellweger with Matthew McConaughey, but they should because <laughs> because of, of that like shared history right there. You mentioned Angels in the Outfield. I'm glad you brought it up because we get an Angels in the Out. Um, we'll go back to the really famous people in a second. But we yeah, get an Angels in the Outfield alumni in this. The dad of the main girl, the sheriff. Sheriff McCloud. Ranch J- Wilder. Yes, yeah. J.O. Sanders. Ranch Wilder in this film. And I was watching them like, where do I know this guy? And I'm looking at his IMDb. I'm like, okay, I've seen him in this. Maybe I've seen him in that. Oh, fuck. It's Angels in the Outfield. It's Ranch Wilder. Okay. Yeah, he, he <laughs> seems like a nice guy, but his face spells prick. Like, and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Probably from that movie. <laughs> yeah, him and Shooter McGavin should just be like token bad guy club. I don't know. Yeah. Just, just like assholes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the other Academy Award winner I already mentioned, Philip Seymour Hoffman, he's in this film. Now, it wasn't his first role. It's kind of debatable what his first role was. A lot of things came out at, at once. But very a very weird role, because he wouldn't go on to play a lot of, not just comedy, but just like things like this. His voice, he's a great voice. He's uh, good at manipulating his voice. He never does this voice again. And he gets eaten in this in this movie and gets an axe through his head. So, by his own admission. Like, yeah. like, you know, he actually changed the way I pick up axes. <laughs> I forever, ever, when I would pick up an axe, would kind of be conscious, can this thing stab me in the head if I lift it high enough? And I'm not kidding. I actually do it every single time. That's the part that really stuck with me as a child. I'm like, that can happen? <laughs> Don't you love that? Like, you're so, uh, you know, impressionable as a kid. And they're like little things in movies that I know, like, especially revisiting them, I'm like, oh. That's why I don't do that. <laughs> so I'm glad you bring that up. Another Academy Award winner in this, and she was way established at this time, but always down for a funny role, especially in a horror comedy. And that's Cloris Leachman. Yeah. She's great. Love Cloris Leachman. She's credited as Maggie the zombie expert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, she's kind of the like you know in the original Wolfman where he goes to the gypsy woman and she kind of mm-hmm. tells him what's up. Like, you know, you're going to turn into a wolf on the full moon and stuff like that. That's pretty much what she told him. It's basically, if you don't eat people, you're going to fall apart. And he's it. like, but I, but I got to take her to the dance. And it's just like, well, then you better get to eating. And I believe the doctor, and I can't think of his name right now, the, the, the doctor he goes to, he's done a whole bunch of stuff. But what I remember him the most was the guy who plays, you know, maybe it was Santa, maybe it wasn't in A Christmas with the Cranks which Melissa makes me watch at least once a year. Yeah, Austin Pendleton, he's in a bunch of stuff. Like, I, I, Even if you don't know Christmas with the Cranks, you'll look up his IMDb. If you're which you shouldn't. Yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> he does at least five movies in 96, seven or eight movies in 97. The dude worked, so you've seen him in something. <laughs> <laughs> Just going along with our award-winning and our award-nominated cast here, how about uh, Matthew Fox, who plays Buck in a huge role of Lost and a bunch of other things? He has to have been nominated for some Emmys at some point. Dude, he plays the older brother in Party of Five. Yeah. And he plays a real sweet guy in that. But, uh, you know, the casting director of that of, of this uh, movie had other plans for him. <laughs> for sure. Two other uh, high school slumber party adjacent people who we've talked about. Paul Dooley plays Big Chuck. <laughs> and he's actually the dad in 16 Candles. Nice. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. And Edward Herman, of course, and it got nominated for a bunch of stuff as well. I love Edward Herman, but we just talked about him last year on The Lost Boys as, you know, spoiler alert. Well, I won't say it if you haven't seen Lost Boys, but Edward Herman, awesome. Do you ever realize that Edward Herman has the exact same talking voice as Herman Munster from the original Munster <laughs> series? When I close my eyes, they could be the same guy, and they're not. It's impossible, <laughs> but they sound call. just like each other. <laughs> like, he had to be called Edward Herman, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. It just fits so well. Um, anyone else in the cast really stand out to you? I mean, I know we've named a lot of people, but... Okay, so Mary Beth Hurt played the mom, and I think she's the MVP of the entire movie. When she is packing heat and says, don't hurt my son, <laughs> and, you know, with this kind of 1950s, I, almost I love Lucy kind of uh, Mary Tyler Moore upbeat attitude, it just is such an amazing contrast to the violence she is threatening, and it's great, and that's what kind of takes me to like a John Waters type movie, which is, you know, like Hairspray or Serial Mom, which is a parody of a 1950s like sitcom, but set in a, you know, a darker situation. Yeah, yeah. So she, she's in stuff. She's in Lady in the Water, uh, Last Exorcism, which is nuts. She's in a bunch of stuff, and she, I'm glad you bring her up because she's really great in this movie too, for all the reasons you said. Her line delivery is just so amazing. And that's something I really like about this film in general. Just the way they're able to... Yeah, There are tonal issues, I get it. But some people get it and some people don't. And she's definitely one of the actors here who gets it. Yeah, I think everybody was really just expecting like a, a funny Tom Hanks movie <laughs> from the 80s. Which is funny because the lead actor kind of looks like if Tom Hanks and that reporter guy from batman had a baby <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, together I can see that. I can they, see that. They, they remind me of them of, of both of them except he's like a little more handsome than the batman guy no offense to the batman guy <laughs> they say he sucks blood <laughs> well ryan let's talk about some of your favorite moments here but let's just start at the intro though 
I forgot about this like kind of comic book intro that we get here. What were your thoughts on that? I think that's kind of like a nod to Creepshow probably. Because Creepshow would definitely be like, you know, the old horror comics before uh, the McCarthy era where they kind of put um, a ban on most uh, comic books without the parents guide on it and stuff like that. So it's kind of a throwback to that and probably like the people who remember the Tales from the Crypt uh, or Tales from the Vault or those those horror comics back in the day. But it's funny that so many movies will do that now where they're like, it's like a comic book and it's also like a term of endearment. In 1993, especially even with Mallrats when it first came out, people weren't saying, cool, comic books, this movie's going to be great. Like, it, it's, it definitely wasn't the same thing, which makes me think if they release it now, it actually might even be more endearing. I would put the comic book panels in the trailer. And McConaughey, I would, I would put him in slow motion. I would pull a, you know, a fast one on the audience and do like Trick or Treat did where they put Ozzy Osbourne and Gene Simmons <laughs> front and center. I would have Hoffman and McConaughey and Renee Zellweger from her deleted scene <laughs> put, it, put on the VHS cover. But no, it's, it's, it's super rad. I thought the comic book thing was really cool. And I remember seeing that as a kid and that really sticking with me because I was a big comic book fan. So. Yeah, it was awesome. I was impressed with how well I thought that it aged, right? I think the art is really good in it. And you're right, it does harken back to that old era of horror comics. It, it was something I really liked on this watch. In terms of just, we'll call it the first act, if you will. We'll be fancy about it. Like his, mm-hmm. pre, his pre-dead stuff, <laughs> as weird as that is. What really stuck out to you? Yeah, no, what what I thought about the beginning is that it's just here is this guy who absolutely is in love with this girl. And we can all relate to that. You know, I used to watch the show Doug, where he would always fantasize about patty mayonnaise. And uh, even though Doug didn't imagine himself trying to have sex with her in front of the whole school, very <laughs> to a cheering audience, I definitely got the idea of being like, a you know, kind of like a weird looking little kid. I, de- I definitely could relate to that part. I, I think when I saw this movie, I was starting to notice ladies. You know, I didn't think they were icky at this point. There, there was something brewing. <laughs> so the beginning of the movie, just kind of like understanding that it's, it's funny. Like he doesn't care about anything else except this girl. But it's so beautiful that it, it makes, instead of him being just a horny dickhead who wants her because she's hot, they show you he was in love with her since he was five years old and had this birthday uh, locket he was going to give her, whether it was a picture of him and a picture of her. And it was going to be this really sweet, cute thing with kids. And then he chickens out. And that's about the rest of these years. He's about to graduate high school. He's never given her the locket, never mentioned the locket. And he's kind of trying to atone to him chickening out as a kid, which I can agree with. <laughs> I can totally feel the way he feels when it comes to that so i'm like i think that was wise that they started out the movie instead of saying here's jim he wants to have sex with the hot foreign exchange student and can't so he has sex with a pie instead (laughs) it starts out with this movie kind of like with a sweetness you know a romance a romance is why this movie happens it wasn't hormones it was out of love (laughs) i love the fact that these dreams they're not that different from the reality so you do buy in at times like oh my god it was just he wasn't really doing that in front of the entire school 
but he's going to come back as a dead person and people are just going to be like, oh, okay, you're back. <laughs> there is like a c- connection there. In a lot of these movies, there's a bunch of like icky, not 2021 stuff. Maybe there's some of that here, but it wasn't as bad as I even expected on this watch. Uh, five years ago when I saw it was a different time than even today, right? So I was a little worried about, you know, things that we're probably not allowed to talk about. But this is this is going to sound like I'm just trying to sound like a good person or whatever. But it honestly, it's it's this thing. It's a time of your life where like you can, you know, you laugh at stuff. And it's like I still laugh at stuff. I'm, I'm aware of what a timepiece is. Like when I watch something from the 50s or 60s and something kind of fucked up is happening in it, I'm like, ha ha, oh, you 50s and 60s. It's not now though, but it's then. And when I look at the 90s and I kind of look at these American Pie ones and I'm just like, oh, oh you 90s. <sighs> Luckily, it's not now though. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I feel the same way when it comes like my best friend's got a daughter and she's like three years old. And I'm like, someday, Someday someone is going to want to do something gross to her. And I'm like, and it aged me so much. I'm just like, and all of a sudden now I'm a, now I'm, now I'm the dad from Footloose. Now I'm like, Hey, put your pants on your darn kids. Stop your <laughs> dancing. And yeah, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But I, I didn't feel too much of that in this movie where I was necessarily worried about things like that exactly because he's doing all this because he loves her not because he just wants to fun not just because she's hot he wants to fuck her he, he actually genuinely loves her. he's loved her longer when the rest of us thought girls had cooties he he had a locket in his pocket and it wasn't gross <laughs> i was gonna say where's the rhyme <laughs> i also like that he doesn't feel like he's entitled to her Right. You see that in movies sometimes. Well, I loved her first and she's with this bozo. There's some of that, but he's more like I missed my chance to like ask her out and do these things. He's not like she should be with me. I've earned it, you know. So I I don't know. I was just I was just pleasantly surprised in that respect. And this movie definitely obviously it's parody and it hits a lot of uh, tropes of things, uh, especially again. I think I appreciate it more this time because I've seen a lot more high school films than I did the first time I saw it. And one of those silly things that we see a lot is faking an incident so the girl will recognize you. And that happens here at the, she works at like what, like a convenience store, right? And he's going to fake a robbery with his doofus friend and save her. A real bad guy comes in and shoots him well i i was pretty you know as a kid i was like i like this guy i don't don't want him to die anymore even though it's the whole plot of the movie yeah like you know when it's advertised like this is going to be a zombie this is going to be a zombie you're you're almost kind of waiting it's set up in a way where you're like oh he's going to be fine you know he's going to be walking and talking and uh, the whole point of this movie is uh but you know if you had never read the vhs and you just put on this movie and you don't know where it's going to go it would probably be kind of shocking to kill off your main character right away and uh see a funeral and not be aware that he's going to instantly come back but you know that's not the case here i was well aware he was going to come back i think the friend was hilarious he was played by uh, an actor named danny zorn who unfortunately isn't with us anymore oh that sucks yeah yeah he uh he passed away when he was about 40 years old, but I just want to uh, immortalize him and the greatness of his work. I think he was absolutely amazing in this movie, even the way he's in the narration when he's addressed. It's like, this is Eddie. He's a dick, but I like him. And I'm like, yes, 
that is me to my friends and my friends to I. He was in this movie called This Is My Life, which stars the actress who plays Marge Simpson. Oh. And, and is with her two daughters, and she's a stand-up comedian named Dottie. And she's just kind of like, you know, there's no dad in the picture. She's trying to make it in the business. The narration is shared with both herself, her teenage daughter, and her youngest daughter. And they all end their segments with, this is my life. And um, he played the boyfriend slash friend of the eldest daughter. And I remember his presence. He's just such a kind of quirky, weird guy in that other movie that I remembered his face. So when I was rewatching this movie, I'm like, I know this guy. I got to look it up. And as soon as I saw It's My Life, I'm like, yes, that weirdo. (laughs) Yeah. But I was very sad to hear that he passed away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's terrible. But I'm going to check this movie out. I've never seen it. This is my I think you'd really like it, actually. Yeah. It's rad. I like Julie Kavner. So, yeah, definitely going to definitely going to check it out. What do you think of the scene where, uh, you know, Johnny uh, Johnny goes home? (laughs) (laughs) You know, pure silliness and fun. I know he dies, but his resurrection, if you will, I think sets the tone for the movie because it's just so matter of fact, right? He just kind of digs himself up from the grave. And that Undertaker character, uh, who that guy's been in a ton of stuff as well. Yeah. He's kind of like, oh, someone hasn't risen since about like 10 years ago or whatever, 15 years ago. So, oh, by the way, you should know some things. Ah, well, you know. Yeah, and then there's this whole like kind of variable of it's almost kind of like um kind of like if you're dead if you're dead and people are reacting to you, it's almost the like, you know, kind of like a racism thing or uh, you know, a prejudice thing, I should say. Like it's just like, oh, you're dating that dead kid? Gross. And then in hindsight, I'm like, Well, he is a dead guy, but in my life I love zombies. So I'm like, what's your problem? <laughs> But I do love that. I love the lines that people deliver. You're right. There is a prejudice. They're so judgmental to him. He shows up at his house. His parents, like, oh, you know, kind of like we thought you died. But they care about him, especially again, the mom, who's just doing everything in her power, including bringing a child to him later so that he could eat. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And when they call the doctor, like, hey, yeah, uh, my son's dead, and we just want to know what to do about that. You know, he's he's here. Well, Johnny died the other day, and uh, (laughs) we're wondering what we could do about that. Yeah, amazing. But I love, again, because this high school slumber party, I love when he returns to school. Um, There's that teacher who just, like, does not give a fuck. (laughs) You know, he, he comes back and she just doesn't care. And again, it just reminded me of, of school. Like you could, there are some teachers that you could give any excuse under the sun to, and it wouldn't matter. Uh, it was just like, nope, do your work or whatever. <laughs> On this watch, that was my favorite part about the movie. Just the people's reactions to him. How no one was screaming, right? No one was like, oh my God, what is going on? They were just more like, this is kind of weird that a dead guy's walking around and he wants to take this girl to prom and literally his ear is falling off and parts of his body are falling off. And Oh, yeah, this is so important to mention, though, that as he's shot and as he's about to die, he finally gets the courage to ask her to the prom. And she says yes. Hence why he has zombie powers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... You're right. Very key moment. Asks her out. She says yes. And that's, I'm glad you bring it up because when he then kind of 
cashes in the ticket, if you will, was like, hey, I'm back. Let's go to prom. She just fully out admits, yeah, I only kind of said that because you were dying or whatever. I have a boyfriend, (laughs) which is so awesome. I love how she plays this role. She doesn't play it like, oh, my God, I'm in love. She even says at one point, she's like, I'm attracted to you since you've been dead, and I don't know why. Wow. Misty was a really cool, interesting character. And it's funny, though, because... You know, when, you know, you know, it's part of your show where you mention how old people are when they're in school and stuff like that. But uh, Andrew was like 23 when they shot this. And Tracy was a fully grown woman of 25. <laughs> and, and it's like, and if you look at Dream a Little Dream in this movie, it almost looks like everybody is 30 in this movie. Like in hindsight, nobody looks like a teen in this movie. Matthew McConaughey looks like someone's like, you know, almost like teenage dad or something it's kind of it's kind of funny but like everybody has to look a little old in a movie for it to all make sense and you to collectively accept the reality you're in but if you had one actual 16 year old next to a 25 year old it would look ridiculous (laughs) so as you alluded to i ask the question every week and sometimes i'm like why am i asking this question because modern movies tend to get this right and then i watch a movie like this and i'm like oh that's why i originally brought this question up everyone definitely looks like an adult not 40 or whatever but like you said early to mid 20s even even our lead here i I know what you say he was 23 yeah he he sometimes looks like an older 23 maybe because he looks like tom hanks i don't know but he definitely you're right he definitely didn't look like a teenager i didn't feel like this i was 15 at all no (laughs) No, Missy did not look like a teenager either. I'm like, <laughs> she she looks like she has a kid at home. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. This is a short movie. It's not as complicated as some other films that I've recently covered, right? So when you go through it, and, and if you're in for the ride here, I feel like you're going to enjoy it, especially if you enjoy this kind of thing. So, Ryan, just what were some of your favorite moments here? Uh, definitely favorite moments. Well, I mean, come on. It's not a it's not a Brian and Ryan show unless uh, something goes badly in a car, right? <laughs> I was going to say that. Too. So so she she's making the moves on him, which is kind of nice on contrast to the other two movies we were yes. watching. Um, but she's making the moves on him and his ear falls off in her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, he has this nightmare slash fantasy where after the ear thing happens, she comes, she comes to his room and all of his body parts start falling off, his arms, his legs, and lo and behold, his, pe- his dick and his balls fall off, <laughs> which as a kid horrified me because like, you know, they were near, near and dear to me and I just became aware of why I need them. So, you know, I wasn't ready to lose him yet. <laughs> so uh, I thought that was a really cool scene. I don't really see that in a lot of movies where, you know, besides maybe the Monty Python and the Holy Grail as the guy's arms and like slowly get uh, cut off and he insists it's just a scratch. But I thought those scenes were really cool. I love I love the dialogue. I love them kind of handling. It's just like, what? You're not going to date me? Why? It's because I'm dead, right? <laughs> and uh, I, I everything with the mom. Absolutely everything with the mom. Everything with the mom was great. Uh, Just back to, you know, the whole dream sequence there. She's like, eat me, eat me, you know. Uh, When this movie goes too far, quote unquote, it's usually just a dream, right? Like, and and he comes back to reality and it doesn't seem perverse or anything. 
I like how you noted that she's making the moves on him. Because as, as, as I mentioned before, she says he's somehow undesirable now. She starts kind of defending him to her dad and stuff. At the end of the movie, is she going to be okay with him that he's not dying? <laughs> yeah. Not, not to skip there, but on this watch, I had that thought. I'm like, was she just into him because she was dying? And there was like a, a non-permanence to this situation? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and he goes to this doctor, and the doctor takes a skin sample. And then the doctor is fully committed to helping him. In fact, he, he finds a cure, essentially. But, you know, if you're not a zombie, it's kind of a cure to aging. So there's this nurse that's only there for one scene. And she's pretty much there to just be the devil on his shoulder, where he's just like, I promised this kid I'd help him. She's like, yeah, but we can make a shitload of money. (laughs) And that's her purpose, (laughs) to just kind of like uh, take the doctor off uh, off of his noble quest and stuff. And I thought that was really funny. So in the next scene, when he returns to the doctor, the doctor straps him down and literally says, yeah, I'm going to need about 40 pounds off you. <laughs> and then he's uh, saved. And then he's saved by, um, by his, both his friend and Missy. And it's a, it's a, it's a really cool movie. Oh, and then the mob is formed and, you know, I think we all see where this movie's kind of, kind of go, but it ends in the graveyard. It begin his zombie uh, adventure begins in, and it's a, uh, there's this great scene where she's like, he came back from the dead for me. And you hear someone say, God, my boyfriend won't even pump my gas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I loved that scene because people were just <laughs> like, like that taking it like for what it is like an all moment. I want to go back to, to the finality of the fact that he never thinks that he's going to live past this prom date. Right. And I, I think that has so much heart because he's not like, oh, let's find the cure. Let's find the cure so I can be with this girl forever. He just wants to take her to prom. And he's kind of acknowledged that he's going to die. Unless he eats human flesh. That's what we learned from Cloris Leachman. And he doesn't really want to do that long term. He's pretty clear about that. Uh, this is where we get our Hoffman moment, too. That's, I think that's the first person he eats, right? When yeah. Hoffman, when yeah. Ho- Hoffman uh, puts the axe to his head. And he doesn't even just like, okay, he's dead. Let me devour him. We learn that he just kind of eats his stomach and eats some he doesn't ruin his face or anything like that and when he has his nightmares it's it is him just like eating someone um he's eating the big chuck or whatever uh, his limbs off while he's watching <laughs> that's a great scene <laughs> thanks for reminding me about that that's really great you call that eating <laughs> it's just a a head and a skeleton at this point oh it's amazing i love it and i love how he's able to keep that mindset of just like Nope, she says she's going to the prom with me. I want to take her to the prom. Let's do this. Uh, I just need to sustain myself to get there. It makes his what ends up happening to him a lot more redeemable to me. Oh, absolutely. And, like, you know, um, we were talking a bit before because we're both, you know, two people of a conscience. <laughs> so when we're, when we're discussing, uh, you know, teenage sex and movies and stuff, we should, me- we should mention Johnny is a good dude. He's actually a bona fide good dude. There's actually not a lot of complicated backwards wrestling with evil behavior besides the hunger of the natural hunger of a zombie, if you will. Every time he has a sexual fantasy, it doesn't go his way. He's never the hero of his own fantasies. And all he wants to do is bring her to the dance, maybe give her a kiss and dance with her. It's actually kind of sweet. 
Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. Like, none of his fantasies go too far in his own desires. He has that goal. Like, let's just go to the dance. Because it goes back to what you said. Like, this is a childhood crush of his. It's more than a crush. He really, really genuinely likes her as a person. And he just wants to accomplish this goal. He knows he's died. And if he could just have this one thing, he's almost okay with dying at that point. And that's, like you said, just to dance with her at a prom, essentially. And then they play this song when he's attempting to dance with her. And it's so sweet. Also pretty sure it was going to be the last, but right then, that didn't matter. What mattered was I was going to have the dance I'd been waiting for since the first grade. That much I was sure of. But still, nothing could have prepared me for what was about to happen. And then he's like, they do this little, they do this little dance, but then, you know, he starts to kind of like, I, I don't know if he, he doesn't explode in a mist or anything like that, but there's definitely some, you know, there's some visual effects to let you know that he's going soon. Yes. And he slowly goes down there and he tells her he loves her. It is actually really sweet. And I know it's a silly movie and there's, it's full of comedy and nothing's really taken seriously, but both me and Melissa shed a tear i swear wow. I, I not not as he was dying but as he came back to life that's wow. why we cried. that's... we cried because the real guy gets to dance with her which is the next scene i guess i should have alluded to that later <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but i just thought it was very sweet i think it's just kind of like and it's, it's classic good guy good intentions spider-man sweet i'm just trying to do the right thing but things don't go right yeah again you rarely see that in horror film and teen film so uh, this film's a little bit unique in that respect and I like how I like how Matthew Fox plays the car like you know the card carrying dickhead boyfriend that allows like even Johnny to be more sympathetic because clearly she's with a guy that doesn't deserve her. That's exactly what I was gonna say. But yeah, the way that this movie is you know presented tone wise, it's okay that Buck is just like that like you said card car- carrying asshole right like yeah. he, he's just the jock and it doesn't also seem far fetched that uh, Missy would be with him. Because Missy doesn't seem, she seems like she could be a little superficial. And that almost being with uh, Johnny is, I don't want to say changing her a little bit, but she's maybe recognizing some other things about herself. I love, though, that the friend keeps suggesting, like, hey, if you got to eat, eat Buck. He's an asshole, essentially. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Buck and Chuck. (laughs) <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman, like uh, the school is being run by Buck and Chuck. And Chuck, man, Hoffman is a scary dude. We all know this. We've seen him work. But even portraying a high schooler with a slight southern draw, 
like as he mumbles his dialogue and stuff like that, man, that guy has a presence. It's clear as day to know that that guy was going to be something special because even as a kid, I'm like, that guy's horrifying. Like, right? Yeah. And I bet you would never. So, like, I didn't get to see this movie before I knew of him, but I bet you as a kid would never have guessed, like, oh, this is what this person is like in other movies, right? Like, <laughs> it's kind of weird. Like, you know, to me, I'm like, this guy clearly is too old to be a teenager, even when I'm like 10 years old. But to me, all teenagers, when I'm like nine, 10 years old, look like they were 30. So it's kind of weird. Like, you know, anyone who is older than me, all of a sudden, like through my, through the lens of my insecure youth, just looked so much older to me. And then I look at pictures from high school and yearbook stuff. And I'm like, look at all these babies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember like seeing literal high schoolers as a kid and I'm like, oh, my God. you know. <laughs> yeah. But, but in Hoffman's case, I'm surprised he wasn't grading their papers or some shit. Cause like, uh, yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, he was, he was like as young as the rest of the cast. It's just he has a look that's older. You know, he doesn't yeah, have a traditional yeah. actor look. He doesn't have like the, you know, Mr. Handsome face. He has presence, but it's not because he's a McConaughey or anything like that. He just has a different kind of presence and he'll he'll look the same for a little for like a good 10-15 years pretty much. Uh, just playing a different different kind of character. You already mentioned the end, Ryan. Yeah, keeping in the surrealism of the movie, he, you know, after he dies, he goes to heaven and uh they pretty much tell him, "You're here." We messed up. You were never supposed to die. And I love how they don't tell him in that traditional, oh my goodness, you made it kind of way. Like, it looks like heaven, but it's not like a religious experience, if you will, you know? It's more like going to the, the, the DMV or something along <laughs> those lines, you know? Like, oh, you're supposed to be here four days ago. Listen, you weren't supposed to die. Go back, do your thing, you know? I, I love that because it just keeps in the tone of, I think, like what the. Uh, the filmmakers were trying to create here. It's so important to note though, that before he goes to heaven, as he's dying on the prom floor, uh, Missy puts the locket around Johnny. So as he goes to heaven, he's still wearing the locket. That's super important to mention. Yeah. Yeah. And the locket becomes such a big deal because again, it it shows that he's really cared about this person for a very long time as he gets back to uh you know the the reliving the a very shorter version (laughs) of his death scene he gets shot and then um he's he tells her how much he loves her and then she looks at the bullet wound and says you're not shot then it reveals that uh you know the locket he was supposed to give her when he was five years old is what saved his life when he gets shot defending her which is ridiculous because I'm pretty sure a bullet could tear that apart and still kill you. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah, when he bought it, the super locket he bought at the yeah. fucking dollar store or TJ Maxx. <laughs> uh, so it's not like to the level it was all a dream movie, but it, it might be, dude. I don't know. Maybe maybe all the whole zombie thing was a dream, and he just you know had the locket on the entire time and woke up like that. But yeah, I was going to ask, like, what is your theory on that? I, I don't think anyone's ever discussed the theory of this film, but we're doing it today. What is your theory on We see that he dreams a lot, right? So I don't know. Yeah. Do, do you think that this was actually that? Do you think it was Well, that? to pull a Corey Feldman, there's very possible that if it was a dream the whole time, he was dreaming in his dreams as well about losing his penis. But uh, yeah. <laughs> It's really debatable, man, because in the beginning of the movie, the whole movie is pretty straight. Even his death scene, 
I mean, him and his friend are a little goofy, but it's after he turns into a zombie that all that kind of super parody stuff happens because the first person he talks to is the graveyard keeper and his parents who were kind of like, you know, leave it to beaver style parents were super leave it to beaver style parents. So I think the only person that can really answer this is the, um, the gentleman who directed uh, Fred, uh, Jason Goes to Hell, who is the writer of this movie, him and someone else co-wrote this movie together. It was their, you know, college uh, script, uh, Johnny Zombie. I would love to fucking find out. In fact, to them who made Jason into a weird, like, you know, monster worm. Well, here's what I think, Ryan. I think you have the power to track Adam Marcus down and get him on your show to answer <laughs> this question so I don't have to do any thinking. You've done it before. You've pulled rabbits out of, out of hats before for your show and found these people. So I don't know. I, I, I'm very, very curious. I initially thought like, well, okay, I'll ask this. Does he have the awareness at this point? Did he know what do we, is it clear that he knew Everything that happened in the movie. Actually, it's true. No, I'm wrong. I'm totally wrong because, you know, he said, don't worry, everything's going to be okay because he already lived it. So when he flashes back to that moment, he's like, I got this. Don't worry. And then he, and then he you know, shoots the bullet because in heaven they told him, don't worry about it. He's not actually going to shoot you. He's supposed to slip on some coffee. And then after he gets shot again, he's like, oh, God. Then the guy slips on coffee because after his after uh, Eddie smashes the uh, burglar in the head with a con- with a ketchup bottle, you know, which is a lethal, <laughs> which is we all know is he probably killed the guy, <laughs> probably, <laughs> but definitely fascinating, a definitely interesting way of of ending a movie. And then and then he asks her to the dance, and then the next thing you see is he's alive and he's taken to the dance, and that's when Melissa and I shed a little tear because uh, that music comes in. And I don't know, it's just perfect. But then there's this little analytical part of my brain that just won't fucking shut the hell up where I'm just kind of like, why are they all standing and watching them dance? Is he he the prom king? Or they're just like, dude, that guy took a bullet for this chick. And where the fuck? And where is Buck at this point? (laughs) You know, well, is is Buck less evil now or he's just kind of like, I wouldn't have taken a bullet for her. You can have her like, I, I don't know. So, so you're kind of uh, reading my thoughts a little bit here because I had another question I wanted to ask you. Or maybe, maybe I'm still stuck in this dream, a little dream, asking too many questions mode. But could he have just been shot initially and even this is another dream? Because there's a lot of inconsistencies, right? Like you're mentioning them right now. Like everyone's looking at him at the prom. And yeah, um, I, I guess it's true. He does have awareness of what previously happened. I forgot about the coffee thing. But maybe maybe everything after he gets shot is just the afterlife or I don't Dude, know. Dude, 50 Cent had a rap career because he was shot nine times. <laughs> I don't know anybody that's been shot and walked around after that. So if some kid went to my school and, uh, you know, got shot defending the hottest girl in school and uh, was walking around the next day. I would have, like, held him up like Rudy. <laughs> okay? Like, uh, just to say, you know, let's let, especially pre-internet, where it's just about whispering, whispering. It's just like, you know, that kid would have been Superman by the end of the day. Like, in my school, at least. Fair enough. Fair, yeah. fair enough. Uh, I think we'll just take the straightforward take here. In a movie about coming back to life and going to prom. We'll go <laughs> coming back to life twice, technically. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that uh that line where he says, like, Oh, do you have any regrets? And he's like, Yeah, 
I would have eaten Buck or whatever. <laughs> well, he would have enjoyed the last uh, three quarters of the movie when he was a zombie a little bit more and wouldn't uh, <laughs> have been pre, like, you know, disintegrating as they walked in the prom to begin with to dance like half a song. <laughs> That'd be funny if it was like a stripper. It's just like, uh, you're paying for one song and they put on November Rain and it's like <laughs> nine minutes long. <laughs> That's... I know how to cheat death. <laughs> Thank you, Dream Theater. <laughs> well, this was just uh, you know a blast to watch this time. I, I had so much more fun this time than than uh, previous times, and it was a blast to talk about. Anything else, Ryan, in my boyfriend's back that you wanted to mention, or should we move on to our questions and awards? I think we talked so much about it. I just want to say stylistically, it was really cool as an. You know, I'm saying, oh, as an editor, I'm like, no, I, I've been very lucky in life to do some cool stuff. But I can really appreciate the fact that he's biking to school. And for some reason, there's like the camera is on his bike, like a first person POV shot. And it doesn't really come up again. I'm just kind of like, you know, kudos to the director for like really just trying to make this movie his own and, you know, making it interesting. I think it's extremely well shot and the font and beginning super cool. Like I said, the music super cool. I want to mention that when they go to the pseudo mad scientist place, all of a sudden all the music is a strange pan flute stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, why? And I, and, but at the same time, I'm like, cause he's weird. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. This is one of my top 10 core comedies now. And it only came back into my life about a year ago so it's crazy wow that's high praise so I, then i can't wait to ask you these questions yeah first who was this movie made for who was the intended audience when it was made me <laughs> i was the audience <laughs> and uh it, it's funny man i look it's like based on 20 critics on rotten tomatoes it got a 14 percent, and i'm like 20 critics I talk to 20 critics every day. They're called my friends. You're only basing this off of 20 critics. Like the whole world-renowned Rotten Tomatoes website, you're going to deem this movie crap forever because of 20 people? Really? <laughs> that's why it's really not about... And, and, you know, when we grade it, we talk about this. But that's, that's why it's really not about... Not just the Rotten Tomatoes score, but it's, it's about how many people see a movie. That's, you're going to get a better determination that way. I know so many smart, intelligent, awesome people that love this movie, love the dialogue, and they all grew up and they were at that age where if you're like 36 years old, would you hold this movie in high regard if you're watching it in 1993? Probably not. But if you're 11 or 12 years old, I would say so. I, would say so. I know so many people uh, who... Like, you know, when I posted that we were going to do this, they're like, oh, yeah, I love this scene. I love this scene. This is one of my favorites. And it's kind of nice to have these connections with people for a movie that's kind of hard to find, that it still resonates with people all these years. So I would say kind of people who grew up with Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps and all that other stuff who are very aware of funny uh, horror that's not too dangerous. Absolutely. Those kids, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I know you, you address that a lot on your show, and a lot of the people you interview are people in that world. So it did, it didn't surprise me when you told me you want to do this movie. I was like, this is right up your alley. So, um, you know, we have our questions. We'll get to them. But since we alluded to it, let's grade before we answer some of these questions. You mentioned Rotten Tomatoes, 14%, 45% by the audience, which I see as something that's 
uh, positive because obviously a lot higher than 14, but a little bit more people have watched it and the score is not as low. 2.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd, which isn't great. The film nerds, maybe not huge fans, but as you said, I know a lot of people who love this movie whose opinions I really respect. Mm-hmm. And Ryan, you're one of those people, so I'm going to hand you the report card. I'm going to give you the red, the red pen, A plus to F. What will you grade my boyfriend's back? Well, it's weird. Like, I'm, I'm of two minds. I'm kind of like, do I get why people don't like this movie? And, like, you know, would they probably expect me to give it a B plus or something like that? I'm like, yeah, probably. But I'm going to say out of, personal pre- out of personal preference, I see great things in this movie. I'm definitely, giving, I'm definitely giving it an A, and I think it really deserves a lot more than what the world has given it. I can't think of a scene where I'm like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> and it goes by quickly, and it, do- it does exactly what it wants to do. Is it Citizen Kane? No, but it never intended to be. No, and I think that's super important to remember. Like, I, I think it was what it intended to be, ultimately. It's super fun. I'm giving it a B plus only because people criticize me for giving too many A's out. Uh, but I really, really enjoyed this movie. It was such a fun watch, a quick watch. I wasn't asking too many questions. We're only asking some questions here because we're talking about it, you know? But I would definitely have this on in the background, it was, a, it was a really, really super cool movie, and I'm just happy to have the chance to watch it again when my palate's changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Most likely to succeed. Who do you think won the movie, Ryan? Who comes out on top? You know, I really wish um, Andrew Lorley did more stuff. I just realized that they made a TV pilot of Clerks once upon a time that had nothing to do with Kevin Smith. And Kevin Smith tells a very funny story about how uh, he was invited to come audition for for oh a show, a, a show of Clerks that was created by another guy. Like, you know, words created by. <laughs> and he owned Jay and Silent Bob to do whatever he wants, hence why Universal, uh, Mallrats is a Universal movie, and yet there they are. But So they changed the, the J-type character to be named Ray. But uh, Jeremy Lorley played Dante in that, in that failed oh, team. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, apparently. That's what his IMDb says, so that's very, very interesting to me. Um, I think he did great, but honestly, got to give it up to Mary Beth Hurt you are awesome. It take uh, an actor who has only maybe eight nine lines in the movie, but absolutely steals the show. She was amazing. So, so Mrs. Mrs. Dingle, Mrs. You, Dingle, you yeah. are our winner. And and I have to agree with that choice too. That's a great pick. Like she keeps her composure throughout, keeps me laughing, and you know I, I love it. <laughs> okay, next question that we ask every week. We mentioned this guy because he's in the movie. We mentioned the character, the Wooderson Award, named after Matthew McConaughey in Dazed and Confused. Is there a character here who you would have liked to have seen a little bit more of? Um, oh, that's a good question. I suppose, I suppose I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of, of Buck you know, to sympathize with the villain a little bit more besides kind of like, you know, the one note cliche, I'm a bad boyfriend type things. No, I honestly, Brian, I can't really think of it. You know what? Can you answer that? And then maybe I, it'll, it'll knock something loose. I mean, I, I don't think Buck was too bad of a choice. I think you make a solid assessment there. I, honestly, I think the people do so well in this, mo- in this movie. I love the characters. You know, 
as a Philip Seymour Hoffman fan, he just credited as Philip Hoffman here. Maybe I want to get a little bit more of Chuck, but this movie's pretty balanced in that respect. I, I think we get a good uh, balance, again, lack for, lack, for lack of a better word. I love Cloris Leachman. We only get her in that one scene. Maybe, uh, right? She doesn't come back, does she? I think they couldn't afford her. <laughs> Actually, wait, I changed my answer. I changed my answer to the nurse. The, you know, the nurse oh, that kind of convinced the doctor to fall from grace from his, uh, you know, his, his journey to save Johnny instead to try to, uh, you know, take his skin for profit. <laughs> you brought her up, and I, I guess I really didn't think of her too much till you, you say it, but yeah, she really does have that good moment there. I like that pick. I like that pick a lot. Now, kind of opposite award, Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character who you would have deleted from the film? Someone who frivolous? I don't think there was, as we discussed, too many offensive characters, but was there anything you were just like, eh, I could do less of this person? No. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess some diversity would have been good in the movie, period. That would have been good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. I, that's a really good point. Not, not a very diverse cast. But I just want to say, Brian, because of your show, I've looked into this. And uh, I did this long walk when things opened up here downtown that took like an hour and a half. And I just caught up on all your episodes. And I remember listening to the 16 Candles one. And I'm like, I want to look up this guy. And I saw his interview in this movie called In Search of Darkness, Volume 2, where he talks about this movie he was in called Vamp. And he's like, all these movies always wanted me to do this big Asian accent and this caricature of things. And what I loved about Vamp is I finally got to talk about like myself. And it really makes you think back then. And I'm like, God, every time he walks on an audition and he just wants to talk like him, they're like, can you do that Asian thing you did in 16 Candles? So I'm like, think, uh, so I have a lot of sympathy for that guy because for even sure. though I, I loved him in UHF where he plays the karate instructor yeah. that saves the day at the end. I definitely can feel his pain. I can't think of anything for the Long Duck Dog Award, but I'm, but I'm waiting for you to ask me that next one, that next question. Well, uh, just shout out to Ken Watanabe. Like, I never have ever, I never try to criticize him because I no, of course feel not. so bad for, the, yeah. like, he was pigeonholed in these roles, and I like him in a lot of movies. I think he's a really cool actor. Uh, but you, you asked for it, so I'll give you that next question, Cameron Fry Award. Did anyone look too old to be a high schooler? My only answer is most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much everyone here. I mean, it's fine, whatever, because there's a surrealist sense to the movie, but I was watching adults here. I didn't feel like I was watching an awkward 15-year-old meander through the perils that is high school. I would say, uh, I would say Hoffman is definitely takes the award for when I, when I was a kid notably wow that is that that guy is too old to be here for sure but at the same time he had this presence so i'm like maybe he failed seven grades you know maybe he's a really good football player so they're you know they're going to overlook his birth certificate i don't know maybe he cuts grass when he's not on the football field and he lives in a shed i don't know but, <laughs> but his presence screams that it could that it could happen and that's the thing about him is that he he has such a presence that it makes me wonder what's going on under there. So he's possibly a character I would have wanted to see more of too, just because he's so mysterious and good at making you kind of uneasy. The guy's a genius. For sure, for sure. And I also think it fits with the family as well. Maybe this guy got left back a bunch of years too. 
Uh, who knows? Like his family is like the mob of the town, that Frankenstein mob or whatever. Uh, the little kid ends up being his little brother as well. I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh man. So we already graded the movie. So one of my favorite questions every week is to ask you, Ryan, what does your my boyfriend's back sleeping bag look like? I'd say one of the one side of it would be the hand that comes out of the grave to hold the rose. I think that's pretty like iconic and really cool to see. And um, I think I guess the other side would be, you know, uh, him kind of decomposing, but still very dead looking at the dance mid, you know, a, a nice long shot of both of them embraced slowly before his death. I think that would, you know, kind of key up like what the whole purpose of this movie was and stuff. I like that. I like that a lot. I think it's better than my idea. I was just going to do because I really love the art of the comics here. Mine oh, would yeah. be like the print of the comics, like maybe the full comic on the front. You know, oh damn, you're right, man. Crap. <laughs> Your idea was good too. I mean, that's that's the beauty of this question: creativity. Go yeah, in so yeah. Many directions. Oh, your sleeping bag would be so rad. <laughs> but you know, from uh, and and I thank you for that. I thank you for listening to the show. You know, from listening to the show, that my favorite question every week is this one: You and I, Ryan, were in the magical, magical blockbuster that defies space, time, and logic. We're there. We know we're renting my boyfriend's back on good old VHS, but we get to the counter. We see a sign that says rent two movies, get one free. And I say, Ryan, we're having this slumber party. We're going to have a good time. I'll hold our place in line. Go to the back. Get two other movies to watch for like a trifecta slumber party. What two other movies do you bring back to the front? And what two other movies are we watching today here with my boyfriend's back? I would definitely say, uh, especially especially from the uh, almost uh, Kevin Bacon connection that Andrew Lowerly has in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because it also is kind of like that kind of like it's it's scary. Pl- Some people are playing it straight, but it definitely is, you know, meant to be funny. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. And uh, and I would say because this movie kind of reminds me of a, a John Waters movie just cleaned up a bit, I would definitely say mm, Hairspray or Serial Mom. But let's say Serial Mom just because it's you know still in the still in a horror genre. I like that. That's good. Great choices. Ooh, that sounds like that would be a fun fun slumber party. Well, Ryan, this was a blast. I thank you so much for being clutch and coming on with me and talking my boyfriend's back and like i said it felt like you know i was gonna say something and i'm like wait a minute i don't intend to use punnage here but i was like i feel like this movie came back from the dead for me but i'm like wait a minute that's too <laughs> but but it's, it's true because again, i didn't hate it the first time i just really didn't get it and this time like i said it was a blast so thanks again ryan um of course you have the ryan stick show tell everyone about what's going on there and Anything else you want to say to the slumberers right now? Uh, yeah, well, if you, guys, if you guys want to watch, it's on Facebook and YouTube. I try to go live every Thursday. Sometimes there's not a guest, but uh, we, we just got this new technology. We're going to be going live a lot more often, talking about pop culture news. But as of recent, I've had some really cool guests on, including the singer of uh, the Disney afternoon songs like DuckTales, Darkwing Duck, and Rescue Rangers. It was all this one gentleman. Uh, I had on the one of the gentlemen who was one of the Ninja Turtles from the 1990 movie who played Michelangelo, not in voice, but in the suit. This is the guy who played Michelangelo in Ninja Turtles 2 as well, who danced with Vanilla Ice. His stories are absolutely amazing. For those of you who love the movie The Sandlot, 
And uh, next time Brian's on the show, I want to call him Brian the Guest Rodriguez. <laughs> the Sandlot, I talked to the director for, God, it must have been two hours. And the stuff he told me about this movie, it's absolutely amazing. And I just love being in a place in life where, yeah, I don't got a billion followers, but man, the conversations and the knowledge I've been able to acquire from very specific <laughs> guests. You know, if someone told me, oh, you can get Tom Cruise, I'd be like, eh, that's cool, I guess. I mean, you know, it'll be monitored and I'll have to say like, you know, this question, this question. But if someone told me that I could get Andrew Lorley on the show next week, I'll be like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of a niche type dude and, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm proud of it. So, and uh, for those of you, I know uh, Americans probably have no idea what YTV is, but YTV was a kid's station a kid's TV station in Canada and uh, some Canadian talent would, would emerge from here uh, such as voice actors. I mean, anime was the first, was first developed like, of course in Japan, but first dubbed in Canada. So uh, I have the original Goku from uh, Dragon Ball Z. He's been a guest on the, on my show, Yumi and YTV. I've had other cast members of Beast Wars, the cast of Are You Afraid of the Dark? So all, all these Canadian shows that found fame in America originally here, but it's kind of funny because Canada really doesn't celebrate their own that much. Like when I was a kid, I thought the only famous Canadians were Celine Dion, the Bare Naked Ladies. But apparently <laughs> in my backyard, uh, Sailor Moon was being dubbed in Toronto. And it's it's crazy that all these shows I loved, watched, and worshipped we're all Canadian, so that's why I started up that show. So even if you're not Canadian and you couldn't give a crap about it, I guarantee the show is still interesting. So check out You, Me, and YTV or the talk show that covers all pop culture and I'll interview anybody, Ryan Stick Show. And if you check out both, I would appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ryan. And you're so right. Your show just – you have people who I'm like, oh, shit, that guy. That's awesome, you know? <laughs> If you do get the opportunity to interview Tom Cruise, do it, but only do it so that other people can watch a Tom Cruise episode and then watch all of your other great interviews. You know, I would honestly, I would thank you so much. I would honestly ask Tom Cruise about the Outsiders because I'm like, you only had a few lines, but you insisted on doing the backflip, and when you did the backflip, you hit your head on the car. Like he was so committed. To the roles, like if you think Tom, like him holding onto a plane or going in space is impressive, his first role ever, he was willing to do a backflip off of a car and slam his head into it and not ruin a take. That is commitment to the art, if I've ever heard it. Yeah, people talk a lot of shit about him, and I get it. Trust me, but you go back to his history; he's always wanted to do this, and he's doing it. So he's one of the best ever to do the kind of shit you're talking about. Maybe one of the only people. So we give him kudos for that. Somehow we got on, got on a Tom Cruise tangent. I don't know why, but what it, it shouldn't way he started off in the high school world. Okay. Risky business true. is awesome. True. Yeah. Very true. He did a lot of high school movies. We got to cover more of them, but Ryan, once again, this was awesome. Thanks so much for, for stopping by and this will be out super soon. So thanks again. Thanks buddy. Always, always a pleasure having Ryan Stick on. I got to get my ass over to his show because he's a real mensch. Really helped me out talking this episode today. My boyfriend's back. It was so much fun again talking with him. Definitely check out his show. Honestly, it's really fun. The people he has on are just like, again, I think I say in the episode, I'm just like, oh yeah, that guy. That's pretty awesome. Remember, we connected because Charlie Talbert Angus was on our show here and then he went on Ryan's show 
So I don't know. We have a weird Charlie Talbert connection, but I love it. And again, love having Ryan on. We'll have him on again soon. Okay, your homework for next week. Yes, yes, it's a movie. But your homework, more importantly, for the rest of the month is to vote for our junior year superlatives. Go on our Twitter, go on our Facebook, or email me if you want the ballot like that. Um, my email, of course, is highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. Want to break down a couple more categories like I've been doing. And this is a new category, new category for our yearbook, Best Parent Award. And just a reminder, these are kind of the yearbook awards for the school year, our junior school year that we've had. So last July to this June, to be exact. So the Best Parent Award nominees, the first ever time it'll be given out, are Lisa from Moxie, Pop from House Party, who I love, Mr. and Mrs. Anderson from License to Drive, Furious from Boys in the Hood, that's Lawrence Fishburne's character, Margaret White from Carrie, who doesn't love the mom in that film, Cole's mother and father from The Babysitter, Dr. Covey, or it's Covey, duh, Lars and Covey, Dr. Covey from the two All the Boys series, The Hot Dad, Goofy from a Goofy movie, an animated nominee there, not the only Disney nominee because we have the Commander and Jetstream from Sky High, Mel Horowitz from Clueless, and someone who... Let's be honest, I put on the ballot to get like a laugh out of maybe one person or whatever, but Marilyn Bastin from Shazam. Yes, Shazam's mom who abandoned him is a nominee for Best Parent this year. (laughs) Oh man, can't wait to see who you decide on. Who else do we got? What other category do I want to talk about? Oh, how about this? This is a new one as well. It's called Friends to the End. And this is, well, it should be self-explanatory. These are Friends to the End. I don't know what else to tell you. The nominees are... Bill and Ted from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Sharon Dion from Clueless, the Frog Brothers from The Lost Boys, Nick and Peanub from Idle Hands, Kid and Play from House Party, Autumn and Skyler from Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, Les and Dean from License to Drive, Corey's there, The Goonies from The Goonies, Mike Slim and Roland from The Wood, Bobby and Dinger, more Corey's, from Dream a Little Dream, The Shazam Family, I called them, from Shazam, the Monster Squad, from the Monster Squad, and maybe my personal favorite, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman from the Lifetime movie, A Tale of Two Corys. So whoever you think is going to be like the best buddies, friends to the end, based on the movies, please, please, please cast your vote there. Okay, your homework for Friday. We're going to get our summer started a little bit early as we let the ballots marinate for our year-end superlatives. So your homework is a summer movie. I brought it up off-air with Ryan, and he did not have pleasant things to say about this movie, so maybe he's not going to enjoy this episode. But the film is Eurotrip. For centuries, Europe has offered American tourists its culture, its culinary arts, and its mime. Can we please just get out of here? This guy is really creeping me out. Now... It's payback time. Two friends, two twins, eight countries. You know, there are a lot of other empty compartments. What what the hell are you doing? Oh, me scusi, me scusi. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh What? Big tunnel. Who's touching me? Scusi! Club Vondersex. Where your every fantasy will be fulfilled. Yes, lady. On on, Vondersex! 
So are the girls coming back? Absinthe. It's illegal in the States because it makes you go crazy. They call it the Green Fairy. Jamie's hooking up with another girl. Oh, oh my God. God. Here's a fun fact. You made out with your sister, man. That is just wrong. <laughs> Since here, this town has a famous nude beach. Let the crazy European sex odyssey begin. There's no new girls here. It's just guys like us looking for new girls. Cooper, the hat. The hat. The hat is on fire. We don't need no water. Let them up. Oi, get bloody out of you. We're from Ohio. Stop. Hammer time. He's a magical. I am freaking out. I'm here. Let us make love for one whole month. Mi bello. Mi bello. Mm. Mi bello. Oh, mi scusi. No actual Europeans were harmed in the making of this film. It's such a silly movie, but you know what? I saw it when I was in high school. I saw it probably the same times as these guys. Kyle Rondry, the foodie films man himself, will be here. And my good friend, we haven't heard from him in years on this show, but he does the tag at the beginning of the show. And that's Mike Rivera, two high school classmates of mine, will be on. So watch Eurotrip. That's your homework. And I think it's on Amazon. You can stream. Not the unrated version. I mean, you could watch the unrated version, but I'm saying the quote-unquote free one on Amazon is the rated version if you will but check out that episode this friday and vote 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 as well remember guys life moves pretty fast if you don't stop look around once in a while you could miss it so let's leave you with another song off the my boyfriend's back soundtrack it's i think the romance theme if you will we'll call it that it's jennifer mcgill's hanging on for dear life once again big thank you to ryan stick and Later, dudes. A mind can sure get weary The way things come undone Eyes that won't see clearly A heart It's over. Go home. Go.